Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Okay, welcome back. Episode 139. It's the addiction connection. Yeah, that was in the intro. Oh. (laughs) That we don't tape every time. Yeah. Anyway. Well, this is uh, actually kind of a reboot of a talk we did a long time ago on Kratom because there's some new stuff. So we're going to just kind of quick run through it. It's a lot of difference. I mean, this is a very different talk than the Kratom of the past. Yeah, and I don't know. Maybe we won't get through this whole thing. It'll be two. We'll see. We'll do a 2.0 and a 2.5. I think what brought this all up is that we've just had so much Kratom in the clinic lately. And I don't mean physically in the in the clinic. I mean, we've had a lot of patients who are using Kratom actually have one on my schedule today. And and we actually got a text from one of our communities. Yeah. Shortly. Did you get, did she text you? Not yet. Oh, not yet. Um, literally about Kratom. Uh. And she's like, I can't go on your echoes lately because of meetings. I'm like, oh my gosh, we literally had this Kratom update yesterday or last week. So yeah. anyway, this is, this is happening all over the state, at least in Minnesota. So Kratom, of course, comes from a an evergreen tree, and I'm kind of a tree guy, uh, but I have no kratom. I was going to say, do you have a kratom tree? No. So native to Southeast Asia, Malaysia is kind of the ancestral ground of <laughs> the kratom tree. Yeah, and it's and it's been around forever. And I mean, and there's a lot of recreational uses. I think there was a lot of uses that were more uh, traditional cultural things that they used kratom with. But understand that chewing the leaves off a kratom tree is greatly different than the concentrates and things we're seeing on the market. So I had a patient this morning who, that's not why I'm seeing him right now, but said in the past he used Kratom and was describing how he could function. And it was, he was getting a lot of the stimulant effects and said when he used Kratom, he didn't drink alcohol, he didn't use mm-hmm. meth, didn't use opioids, but without Kratom, he's doing them all. Like it's, it was very interesting to hear. And he brought that to me. I didn't even ask about Kratom because I don't need to we're already pass that, but that was so interesting. Well, and that's part of the discussion later on. It might be the second echo is, is this harm reduction? And that's something we'll talk about. Um, but remember, it does have both stimulant and opioid properties, depending on the dosage, which we'll also talk about. Right. So we have some active components, the metragenine and the 7-hydroxymetragenine. And these are, I don't know, it, to, when you were talking about this last week, or I guess it's been a month now since by the time this airs, Taping it, it was a week ago. Oh, yeah. This tape is not going I'm, to be on for three weeks. I figured We're it out. actually ahead of schedule. Um, it's a partial agonist on the opioid receptor, which made me think of Suboxone. Yeah. Buprenorphine. Yeah. Well, it's and that's why they call it an atypical opioid. Right. Which so, is weird. I don't know. I meant to say that when you were doing the talk, and I was like, nah, we were not at the right amount of time. Yeah, and it's interesting to understand, too, that they aren't the only two indoles in this, or the alkaloids, right? I mean, there's 50 others in this whole in this whole kratom leaf so so very similar to like cannabinoid yeah i mean you don't know Cannabis, there's, there's a hundred things there. right there's a hundred things in there so it's really everything and we'll talk about this is every sample is a little different it's not like penicillin where they like 
got it down to the active component. When you get kratom, it's like, mm-hmm. here's a leaf, let's grind it down and call it good. Yeah, and, and what I found really fascinating when we, we did this echo on this is some of the data about how different different kratoms off the, just basically right off the shelf are. And so much of it depends on where they're from, you know, what country, what kind of soil it's in, you know, what species of the tree, because there's a few different species and, and really how it's kind of produced. And so- Fortified, because this yeah, is totally yeah. FDA approved. Yeah, it's not fortified. And, and this stuff is, is just so variable that patients often don't, don't know what they're getting. So they are very distinct, however, from opioids. They might be as atypical opioid, but they're still very distinct. So they do have some of those overlapping, but not identical effects. Yeah. And so it's complicated. It is. And I think that it's funny that it, some of the things that we typically see with opioids, you don't see with metragenine or 7-hydroxymetragenine, <laughs> which is the... I just love that word, metragenine. I think I used say to MTG. say metragynine. Metragenine. see it. Metragenine is in all likelihood the right way of saying it. We have no way. So if we're saying it incorrectly, tough. I was going to say, don't call us about <laughs> yeah. that. No. Yeah, don't email us. No, it's not an adverb. Yeah. Anyway, so it doesn't have the constipation or the respiratory depression, which is the key difference. Um, and people, um, I don't know. It says, or dependence due to a unique mechanism of action on the mu receptor. Yeah, and that's really debatable. That's debatable and because we'll the tolerance of this is ridiculous. Yeah, and some of the people in some of the different studies or surveys they did said one of the biggest problems they have with with this particular substance is abstinence once you've used it. And again, it's the craving. Right. Right. So if we're talking about the affinity and what that looks like and compared to morphine, so metrogeny is 50% that of morphine. Mm. So not as beefy. Yeah, but <laughs> it's that whole that it's that whole metabolite, that 7-hydroxy, that is the problem. 46 times more potent than metrogenine and 13 times more potent than morphine. Which is so interesting, but yet not, because... When we were just first, the first Kratom patient, we were like, I don't know, it's going to kind of fly by it. And we didn't know, like, where are you going to end up in dosing? And they've all, even without knowing this, all ended up in the highest dosing, which. And see, part of sense. me thinks that potentially the patients that we see who are using Kratom are kind of self-selected out. You know, I've been really thinking about this because of the whole, you know, how so many people say that the withdrawal is not that bad and all these surveys and stuff. But yet the ones we see tend to be oh. really sick. And right. so is is it different from patient to patient? I, it must be. Must be. Um, and is because our experience has been wildly different. But did those patients select out to came here who were the worst of the worst, right? I don't know if you're catching my drift. I am. I'm just, it's, it's hard because I can't even come up with a perfect pattern across patients that I've seen. You know, the one... She had started using it because she was having some like nonspecific back pain and thought this was an herbal way to help like ease inflammation. Yeah. Like she was comparing it to like ibuprofen. Yeah. But then I've had ones that say I was trying to get off heroin or yeah. my friend said this was better for me or whatever. So you know, it's not even like universal. I was going to say, are you picking up what I'm laying down? But then I thought that'd be too hip. Just a thought. And then you said all of that and then followed it by the hip. So, <laughs> so anyway. So anyway, so how are people using this? Lots of ways. Historically using liquid form, which I 
I mean, okay, liquid in the term of here's a powder, mixing it in the liquid. But liquid, you're think you're referring to this as more like the teas. The teas, and I've had patients who just put that in a water bottle and shook it well, up, yeah, that's drank what, it all day. Uh, but tea would be a very common way with sweeteners because it's kind of a bitter taste, apparently. Which during one of our nurses, I don't know if you picked up on this. No. Yeah, I did that. Hold on. Hold on. Where is it? Um, she had said that back when she was doing all these intakes and the kratom was there, she found a very common mixing solvent of orange juice huh. seemed to be the thing that people would mix it in. Well, it makes sense if you're talking like Fibercon, people like that in mm. orange juice because it takes the bitter away. But yeah. anyway. Probably the worst way to use it is inhalation. And there's been a lot of bad outcomes with that. So they shouldn't do that. I love that, but it is not recommended. Yeah. Like any other form is recommended. Yeah, just go ahead, knock yourself out. Very, it sounds like very few and far between IV use cases. So, so they did some survey, and you know the patterns in the U.S. There was what twenty eight hundred or so people that responded to this random survey in some random time, but the mean age, the average age, was a forty year old person. 90% Caucasian, 61% female, and 59% of them use daily. Yes, I fit for that wow. 40-year-old female that's you're white. Right. You're mm -hmm. right in that demographic. Um, so I guess I fall uh, out of this. I don't weird. use Kratom. Yeah. And the thing to understand about Kratom, and one of the things that makes it a problem, is actually its metabolism. I think... Like every other problem. Yeah. Drug I out mean, there. it's that whole hepatic P450 thing, and it... It's all wrapped up in that, and so are a lot of other drugs, and we'll talk about that down oh, the road. Dang it. And then this was this whole laugh, half laugh life, half the life discussion life? on th this one as a T, 23 hours plus or minus 16 hours, which yeah. is like, okay, so we're talking between seven and what, 39 hours. Um, Sometime if it's this week. <laughs> in the next hot five minutes. Um, and then some say have life of three hours, some say longer. I, the patient this morning said 30 capsules every three hours. Wow. Do you have any idea how many grams well, that was supposed to be? Well, that's funny because that's about what my very, very first patient was using yeah. of the capsules. And we we attempted to calculate the morphine equivalents and it was some like astronomical number of like 800. Wow. So... I don't know what that means. Yeah, but and it's funny because it's not really FDA approved, so I don't really know what that number means. Yeah, I don't even know either. But it's interesting that some of the patients that I've seen, it hasn't been a big thing. They didn't. Some of the patients didn't really escalate a lot, but then some of the patients that are stuck in our minds, they just went, they just took off, and they were taking 20, 30, 40 pills a day, or and then they started buying at bulk. Right. So again, they may select themselves out as people are going to have a problem. Mm -hmm. So really interesting. So anyway. And again, the 7-hydroxymetrogenine is the active metabolite, mostly the active yeah. metabolite. Yeah. And of course, one of the problems with this whole pharmacokinetics thing is it's not well studied. It's been studied a little in rats. Um, so some of your relatives. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I didn't, I really didn't mean to say that. <laughs> um <laughs> I, I can't even believe I said that. But anyway, uh, there aren't a lot of clinical studies, but we they believe that potentially the peak plasma concentrations are around an hour Which in these tea drinkers. fits more of the anecdotal half-life things, Yeah. right? Yeah, I think so, roughly. And, you know, it's got a high volume of distribution. So, you know, just suggesting that, of course, it goes outside the, the, the circulatory system. But interestingly, it's not very lipophilic. 
and it's protein bound, so it doesn't exactly shoot itself into your brain. But yet, but yet it's not constipating, which yeah. would speak against that. Yeah. And yet it causes tolerance i don't know it's just very interesting yeah how about that i'll just keep saying interesting yeah so it's 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 an interesting little drug so so less likely as what oh so it's got a wide therapeutic index correct wide range yeah wide range so you know 20 times less than the lethal dose yep so the effective dose is in this small range and you got to take a well a lot (laughs) <laughs> to really mess yourself up. I know what you were going to say. <laughs> it's like, can my, you say that? Is this PG? Or? I don't know. My nurse always said that. But but anyway, so it's about a thousand times less likely to OD on Kratom than it is opioids. And that's that where respiratory the respiratory depression. It's the respiratory depression. And we'll talk about that again down the road when we talk about harm reduction. So death more likely due to drug interactions. Yeah. It's that P450 thing that just haunts us all. Ugh. So if you were to like say, hey, I just feel like I should be on Kratom, what are you looking for? I don't know what you're looking for, but I'm looking for increased energy at my age. So I'm thinking, yeah, uh, but improved, you know, this is much like alcohol in a way. It's that's some people feel like they're much more social on it. They're more alert, Um, but you don't really get the pain stuff, right? Unless you take a lot and and a lot would probably be over five grams a day, roughly. This, Which, again, how do we quantify it when you're right. scooping it out of the big tub? Right. So I am just thinking again to this patient this morning who is now going to be listening to our podcast. And so it's just so pertinent because everything he was describing is like fits with all of this. Um, yeah. You know, wasn't needing alcohol because it's the, the whatever and the calm and less, I don't know, it just fit. Yeah. Oops. And, you know, it does. there is some thought that even those higher doses, too, kind of give you that antidepressant effect or, and the, or excuse me, the depressant effect and the opioid effect. Because, of course, opioids classically. So you're saying that low dose more. were more like the quote-unquote upper and the higher dose were Correct. the quote-unquote downer. Yeah. And if you look at the depressant effect and the opioid effect, I mean, I mean, for instance, just with prescribed opioids, once you hit 100 morphine equivalents, doubles your suicide risk. I think one would wonder at high doses you know, does this have negative effects like that as well? So getting the opioid effect might be good for the pain, but is the depressant side of it, mm, is that good for you? Mm. Don't know. Okay. I was trying to look through and say, here, where would be a good stopping point? I'm not quite figured out yet. Maybe after coming up here. Anyway, so what do we see? What does poison control see? Because they see kind of whatever anybody takes and accidentally has an issue with. Yeah. And it's really interesting that, uh, you know, how many calls they've gotten. I mean, that's amazing. You're getting thousands of calls on this over over six or seven years. And, you know, a lot of those are pretty significant effects. But how many people are using it? That's the other question. And a lot of the stuff I found was like they're thinking two or three million people using maybe daily Kratom. Who knows? So this is like roughly just quick math, like one every three to four days is a call. Yeah. Like when I look at this 1100, 1200 number over six years, I'm like, that's not that many. But when you do the math, it's it's more. And it's usually the calls and all the side effects, but not overdose death specifically. Right. right? But I think in our previous Kratom talk, we talk about the fact that if you give someone naloxone, they will go into opioid withdrawal, basically. Correct. So... Again, no respiratory depression yet. Anyway, so the most common adverse effects or common reportive 
not awesome effects is, you know, tachycardia, drowsiness, vomiting, confusion, and withdrawal. So the tachycardia makes a lot of sense if we're talking more of the stimulant properties. Drowsiness, it's kind of, I feel like this is going to be depending on the dosing because some of these seem one way and some of these seem the other. Well, and it's interesting that a lot of the calls were associated with very large ingestions, naive people often. Um, You know, it's not in my talk at all, but that was kind of what... I gleaned. Sure. And you know how things Fancy stick to my word. brain. Yeah. I mean, it just stuck there. Sure. And, uh, but okay. there's some serious side effects too, which, I mean, again, and most of these are probably related to multiple drugs. You know, if you look at things like liver issues or bilirubin being elevated, you know, maybe they're Rhabdo, also taking, rab- maybe they're taking acetaminophen, maybe they're taking Seroquel, you know, maybe they're taking something else. So those are where we run into the bad problems. So what if, what does poison control do? I mean, poison control, what does poison control does? Maybe seek emergency medical care. Yeah. Um, and it, so more than half of them actually do need treatment with some type of assistance, IV fluids, benzos, oxygen, <laughs> Narcan, intubation. So these are not little things. More than half needed that. Yeah. That's like one a week. I think one of the things that you'd ask yourself is if you go to a, a clinic or an ER and you say, I'm taking Kratom, is what anybody percentage gonna, of people know what? Yeah, that I mean, is. I talk to physicians all the time. We're like, "Kratom? What's that?" You know, and and so really, education is a, a big important thing. Um, but I think you can Google it quick, and it's like figure out it's kind of an opioid issue, and go from there. But that whole P four fifty nightmare with other drugs, and interestingly, a lot of the data shows people that use kratom tend to use many other types of substances statistically. So. Yeah, that's a whole nother thought. So other side effects that are not like immediately life-threatening, constipation, mm-hmm. which yet, yet it said Kratom doesn't create constipation. As much. So, I mean, it's just interesting when you look at different studies. Yep. And then liver toxicity, which again fits with every single thing else we talked about with the yeah. P450 system. So. Yeah. And so what's withdrawal like? Well, just like withdrawal from every other opioid. Similar to opioids. Yes. So you can get physiological and psychological withdrawal. So if you've been using long-term, potentially higher doses, withdrawal starts in 12 to 24 hours. Again, some patients say within like three to four. It can last up to a week. And babies born will have some type of neonatal abstinence syndrome, whether you're going to call it NAS or NOWS. I guess it doesn't really matter. I think we end here and start at CDC next week. Yeah, I think we can. So I yeah. tried flipping through to see if there'd be a better breakpoint, but it's really not. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, kind of the summary is, you know, this is a drug that has some serious interactions, probably not associated with overdose death as much, uh, and you can buy it over the counter. And so we have to be aware of it because uh, it could come to a urgent care near, near you. <laughs> so That was corny. Or maybe we should keep going for a little bit. I don't care. I can. Just because it fits. Oh, okay. Okay, we'll keep going for just a little bit. And then next time it can be all the weird, nuanced things. Oh. Yeah, so the CDC Sorry. has really looked at a lot of this stuff as well. And um, probably the most common thing, they actually did a study looking at a bunch of different states back in 2016, really to 2017. And they looked at 27,000-some deaths. I mean, a lot of deaths. And, I mean, this is all overdose deaths. Yes. So this is like pre-the opioid days. Like yeah. This is... Goes through 2017. We were just kind of touching on opioid stuff. And in those, 152 had Kratom, you know, on in their system, which 
isn't a huge percentage. No, when you look at 27,000 so, deaths, only no. 152 had Kratom. It's like a half a percent. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Again, not often associated with death. But they primarily. called it the cause of death, like primary drug of cause of death, you know, 91 of them. So not very common. And in seven of the cases, it was the only substance detected. Yeah. And I would say that probably the cause of death would be probably in interactions. And or so, other substances on board. Correct. So, Which is very common. And I think it's important to understand, too, that, um, you know, there in 84 cases where there were co-occurring substances, I mean, it's the usuals. You know, it's fentanyl, it's heroin, it's benzos. Cocaine, alcohol, why not? Yeah. So it's all these other, some that are stimulants, some that are depressants. And uh, But again, like I said, a lot of the studies show people that use Kratom tend to use many other substances. So, so I'm just to kind of get to the end of this treatment dependence stuff, um, the medication interactions, we've touched on this a lot. I'm skipping that one slide in between. Yeah. Um, we talked about the P450, common ones, the amlodipines, SSRIs, alcohol, acetaminophen. You talked about Seroquel. Yeah. Seroquel is a huge one. Seroquel is one that I bumped into in the literature a lot. Um, I believe that our nurse pointed it out to you the first time. I'm not sure. <laughs> I can't remember. But, yeah, Seroquel is one that, that uh, has been associated with, uh, with interactions and death. So on top of all the IV fluids and all of the, like, the symptomatic treatment modalities, you know, naloxone if needed, N-acetylcysteine if they're acute hepatitis, liver failure, and if sepsis, obviously treat sepsis. Yeah, and I think some of the symptomatic treatments, same things that we use for all the opioids. Um, but I would have to say in the patients that I've seen, I mean, the dependents can sometimes be really, um, really amazing, and the tolerance that they've built up. And I often have gotten people up to pretty good doses of, uh, of buprenorphine, and they're still, uh, man, they still feel it. Uh, it takes a long time for it to go away in, in this particular isolated patient crowd. And again, right. do these people self-select out to end up in our clinic because they have a much more significant intake right. or problem? Okay, that's where we should end, and then the next one will be all these other risks, uh, all the new stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting risks with Kratom. So, All right, stay tuned for next week. This podcast is brought to you by Ars Longa Media. And produced by Dr. Patrick Beeman. And, of course, the music is by Battle Legs on Spotify. To reach out to us for any type of information or questions, please email us at theaddictionconnectionpodcast at gmail.com. Size man is on his way, searching for the mountain tay in the hills of Connemara. Gather up the pots and the oats and can, the mash, the corn, the barley, and the bran. Run like the double from the excise man, keep the smoke from rising barney. Swing to the left, swing to the right, the excise man will dance all night. Drinking up the tay in the broad daylight in the hills of Connemara. Gather up the pots and the oats and can, the mash, the corn, the barley, and the bran. Run like the devil from the excise man, keep the smoke from rising barney.
Christ, men are at the wall. Jesus Christ, they're drinking it all in the hills of Connemara. Gather up the pots and the oats and can the mash, the corn. 